Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. At least I didn't force you to see the whole film of hair. <laughs> I thought about it, but uh, after looking at it, there were too many hairy aspects of it that were not all that Aquarian. <laughs> Which is why I think that people stopped uh, taking seriously the idea of <clears throat> the age of Aquarius. But as it turns out, it's a reality and it has begun. <clears throat> Whether we consider it from that perspective of astrology or we consider it as the messianic age or the time of the return of Christ consciousness or the Mahdi, if you're a Muslim, or of the new Kalpa. But in any case, the change is underway, and I don't think anyone can any longer be in denial of that, even if they don't understand the fullness of the context. But the floor has fallen out from under the world's <clears throat> collective consciousness of what civilization was about. And a new beginning is happening, even though most people are more obsessed with the end than with the beginning. But our function is to usher in the new, not to wail the death of a civilization that altogether deserved its fate and none too soon has that arrived to end the suffering and oppression of billions of souls not to mention mother nature herself and so we are in the most blessed moment of the whole cycle and the most auspicious and that moment in which everything is possible if we are open to returning to the truth of who we are and let go of the fabrication of the ego narrative in which we have trapped ourselves and that's the meaning of yoga a yogi is one who liberates consciousness from its limited narratives that are filled with limited attachments and with attacks by superego voices that are always telling the ego it's not enough, unworthy, and that it is not able to receive the love of that supreme self that is one's true essence. And one has come to enjoy the ego narratives so that it is somewhat of a sacrifice to let go of one's suffering. Because let's face it, the ego is a drama queen. It loves its little melodramas. And until we are willing to abandon the obsession <clears throat> with who we are to the other and how the other has treated us and all of those little uh, moments and uh, pseudo-events which get us all angry or filled with some temporary pleasure or some envy or some remorse or whatever it is that keeps the narrative going with all of its 
emotional shock and awe that give the ego the illusion of having some reality. It's only when we let go of all of that that we begin to understand what reality is. And that takes a lot of maturity, psychological maturity, in which one can take control of the drives particularly the drive to continue the narrative and <clears throat> open the curtain of words that is the veil of maya so that the light and the love of that supreme presence can shine through. And we must let go not only of the very primitive and vulgar levels of the narrative at the lower chakra levels, but even of the more metaphysical narratives of growth and transformation and uh, dealing with the obstacles of the ego. Even that is actually a game of delay and of uh, justification for continuing a struggle with a ghost, a delusional ego that only retains its form <clears throat> because we indulge in our thoughts about it as if it really were some reality. <clears throat> and we hold on most to our traumas. We, the ego identifies itself with all of those ways in which karma dealt it a bad hand and that it cannot accept cannot forgive, cannot let go of its unique manifestations of suffering that have defined its attitudes and justify its defense mechanisms. So all of this <clears throat> that constitutes the complex of the ego it is our duty to annihilate in the fire of love, love for God. But the ego <clears throat> wants to hang on to its distorted forms of limited love, which are mostly desire and attachment and possessiveness and territoriality and its its uh, sense of goodness and desirability that it comes from a certain kind of relationality in which fantasies of its being a, a source of support, a rescuer, a knight, uh, a a mother, uh, a feeling of being someone who is worthy of another's love, <clears throat> but in which one falls into the traps of attachment that create a, a downward thrust of consciousness back into the child state of a collusion uh, with another in which that parent-child relationship may oscillate between who is playing which part but which always maintains a an imbalanced relationship in which a karmic <clears throat> uh, enchainment to a particular form of identification persists in uh, 
producing more events of suffering, of, of a, a missed connection, of an il nyapa, a lack of the fulfillment of the relationship that the festering fantasies demand to be fulfilled, but which cannot be. And so all of this futility and fatality of the ego in its refusal to let go of its melodramatic figure of itself as the hero or heroine of its private drama <clears throat> must be surrendered in order for the real nature of our being to emerge and develop and unfold in its fullness. And because of the shift of the conditions of the world in which the old modes and systems of relationality have fallen away, there is an actual freedom of the uh, vibrational field as we have entered into a time of unprecedented freedom from the usual, the norm, the accustomed way of, of looking at a future <clears throat> in which an identity is to be sustained, there is a freedom now to die and be reborn, to let go of an obsolete self-image, and to discover who we are without preconceptions or limitations of our mind as to what is possible. And to let go of the limitations of identifying with the body means we can become non-localizable consciousness that is truly able to expand to include all as manifestations of the one self without any sense of difference in which the many are all facets of the single diamond of infinite consciousness. And by seeing the one shining in the many, that oneness is able to create a, a field of love, of cooperation, of egoless harmony. And so the words of that song, although they were a cliche, they have still a great deal of truth that we are entering such an age of harmony and understanding. And Let's take advantage of the sublime freedom that is offered by this new condition of life that gives us the ability to create a new beginning here and now from which we will not look back at the Kali Yuga karma that had limited the trajectory of our ascension into the supreme consciousness of which we are capable because it is our source, it is our destiny to return and be absorbed back into that oceanic consciousness. It is the moment when all the rivers re-enter the ocean. And in this return, the sea level will rise. <clears throat> and because the sea level will rise, the world as it was will disappear under that flood of love, of light, of truth. And it will disappear in every way. And a new world will then arise that reflects the beauty, the joy, the love, the creativity of the mind of God.
hope everyone will take advantage of this opportunity, this God-given opportunity to be liberated from all of the past beliefs about what can happen and about who you are. So for a few days I've been cocooning again because my bosses have asked for a text about the next retreat. And so I had to ask Shiva to give uh, that uh, uh, and some, uh, some understanding of, of what would be uh, taught in that retreat that's coming up. And so it will be about this new age that we have entered and what are its implications for our own spiritual process and for that of the world at large and how to very practically uh, use the understanding that has been accumulated by the great uh, sages of all the traditions of Kali Yuga that summate in a very concise and clear uh, step-by-step -step, uh, instruction as to how to transcend from ego and soul into the pure spirit of the absolute and sustain and abide in that state until all have morphogenetically come to resonate with that one consciousness. But the Ashram Nivasis must first be the ones who demonstrate the reality of this transformation into our true sacred nature. And we must have the courage and the coherence to move through all of those obstacle courses of the ego that it brings in the form of enticing thoughts and emotions and keep your eyes on the prize of supreme bliss and light and freedom and don't look back toward what you have let go of but remain in the emptiness that will be filled by the supreme power. And the more that we are motivated by love and by the willingness to surrender the will of the ego, the easier, the quicker, and the more uh, beautifully this unfoldment will happen and offer the opportunity for each to be a blessing to many, many other souls who are searching for the path to liberation. So I <clears throat> imagine that uh, there are some questions from the last retreat and I think we'll use the rest of the time to try to answer those if there are any. But first I wanna welcome our three new volunteers who have arrived. Jacob, of course, and Krista, everyone knows, but Joshua, Yeshua himself has arrived. And uh, it's a great joy and honor to uh, be able to welcome you to this spiritual family. And uh, I hope all of you will feel at home and in the flow of the rising consciousness that is bringing us all back to our one source. So if there's anything you want to say, Josh, feel free. I'd just like to thank everybody for welcoming me into your space. I know you guys have been pretty locked down, so I feel you know, really blessed to be here. And yeah, already just being here a day and a little bit, you know, it's, you guys have created a very powerful field here that I already feel my heart is very expanded and, Thank you all very much. Number four.
open to rising in consciousness with everybody. <laughs> and I appreciate Jacob for talking so kindly of me and putting in a good word for me over the uh, last couple of years that allowed me to get my feet into the door. So thank you, Shunya. Okay, thank you. All right, so uh, the floor is open. And if anyone wishes to uh, ask a question or make a comment or uh, anything else that you wish to uh, contribute, feel free. Mm -hmm. um, oh, we're doing the mic thing, huh? Okay. Thank you for uh, a most uh, inspiring and beautiful message of um, renewal, rebirth. I, I think it's uh, it's very inspiring and very, you know, uplifting. Mm. So, um, you know, I grew up with a song, The Age of Aquarius. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I sang it uh, mm. at the time, you know, in groups and everyone was, it was like the song of the time, right? And um, I always wondered what exactly the age of Aquarius meant. And there are so many versions of, you know, whether it's astrological or, uh, you know, this love and peace uh, movement. It was kind of one of the hymn, hymns, right, of, of at least I remember in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, that was what represented, at least for my generation, the, the love and peace, or one of the songs that represented. But I, I would love to hear your perspective of the meaning of the Age of Aquarius, and why have you chosen precisely this song tonight to mm -hmm. talk about this new chapter, and this new uh, opening, and this new sun to shine in, in a way, which is what I take as your message today, and what does it mean for us, for the world, for Sangha, etc. Okay, I'm not an astrologer. I can't say too much about it, but I can say a little bit. <laughs> so usually you'll see see it written like that. Sometimes it'll end downward, uh, but sometimes it'll be, uh, it'll be an upward uh, movement, and sometimes it'll be one, one side will be up and the other down. <clears throat> but uh, to me, they are representing two waveforms that are uh, becoming synchronized, vib two vibrational frequencies one of the samsara and one of the nirvana, but they're becoming now connected and unified. So we're, we are uh, reaching a point in which the current of Shakti is going to flow very strongly in a very unified electrical way uh, that is going to bring about very powerful changes very rapidly. Aquarius is not a water sign, it, even though it, it has that word, Aquarius, and you see usually the, uh, uh, a young lad pouring the water down. Well, that actually represents both a connection between the higher and the, and the, the phenomenal, but it is also a sign of the floods that are going to be poured onto the world and to, to bring an end to uh, the previous age. That age, the Piscean age, was in the water, but it was a water of unconsciousness and duality. And now we move to a vibrational frequency that is electrical and that is uh, within the air, within the atmosphere, within the mind, the consciousness. It's, it's not any longer in the subconsciousness. So it is the, the notion of a rising consciousness that brings a new beginning. And if you trace back the astrological sign into ancient Greece, <clears throat> there's a myth that goes along with uh, the Aquarian age. And that myth is about uh, a, a new server who is being hired by Zeus uh, to uh, assist 
in the, uh, the reorganization of the Olympian gods, actually. And, uh, and his name, that who gets chosen as being the most beautiful human uh, who can uh, work with the gods, His name is Ganymede. <clears throat> now, if you, and Ganymede is, is this very uh, beautiful uh, human consciousness who is raised into God consciousness. But because his beauty disturbs the old, uh, uh, let's say, um, configurations of the gods, who all have to now deal with a new being who is both human and God, very Christ-like figure. They don't know how to deal with him. And Zeus's uh, wife Hera gets kind of upset that he is here and he is, he is creating a, a kind of a new context and a new configuration of, uh, of the divine hierarchy. And, uh, and so the gods uh, get together and say, well, you know, this Ganymede is a little much for us. And they do something very strange, and as far as I know, unique in Greek mythology. Uh, they decide to send Ganymede into outer space. <laughs> yeah, not into, you know, Hades or into some other, you know, Greek usual kind of underworld or something, but literally into outer space to make connection with space beings. Well, okay, you can take that in whatever level and way you wish, but I find that to be a rather extraordinary uh, myth to exist. Furthermore, if you look at the name, the Gan comes directly from Ganesh. And the Mede, of course, Mede from Persian, the, the Persian uh, Zoroastrian and, and Vedic uh, cultural roots of the Greek culture, but uh, Mede is also the middle, the center. So we have the new beginning coming from the very center of consciousness, from the supreme consciousness that is going to move in very beautiful ways that bring Christ consciousness or, or that union of the human and the supreme uh, divinity into a form that is going to extend into outer space and bring a connection between those beings from beyond the earth plane into uh, a unified field of a cosmopolitan consciousness. So that's uh, my take on the age of Aquarius. <laughs> Anyone else? Hmm. Um, you just mentioned electricity and I, I think um, you just mentioned electricity, and, um, and during the retreat, uh, during the Ananda Mai Ma teaching that we just recently saw again, you made a distinction, I think, uh, between magnetism, and I wrote down magnetism is love, and then electricity is the, or mm -hmm. is, is the shock that mm -hmm. was given. What's the, what's the difference between those, and what are the implications of that? Well, the electrical force is that which extends outward. And it can shock, but it can also create a current of energy. When we want Shaktipat, we want the electrical energy to, to fill us. And it becomes prana, the life energy of the body, but also it becomes the light of the mind. So we want the electrical energy, but we want it to come in a way that is connected to our own consciousness and that is able to be used. Uh, rather than a situation where there's a short circuit that's created, as was the case with Ananda Mahima in this case, because there was an unwanted connection that then the electricity went out as a shock and a repulsive, uh, or a repellent, repelling kind of energy, which you see in electrical fences and electrical cattle prods and those kinds of things. So electricity can be used both to 
keep someone away from a field that is uh, uh, full of, of uh, live current, but it, it is also the, the current that can be used to, uh, to run uh, uh, body forms or uh, technology, etc. So it is that basic energy that it underlies everything, even though uh, from the, the level of, uh, of the Brahman, electrical, electromagnetism is already a, a stepped down version of the scalar force, etc. But the magnetic is that which draws in, right? So magnetism is more about love whereas the electrical is more about a, a power that can create a, a field which can be protective uh, and can also uh, be a, a, an energy that can be disseminated for whatever uses are, are required. But the magnetic draws into the heart. And so when someone is uh, of Ananda Mahima's uh, caliber of being, her, her magnetic energy draws people in to love her. She's irresistible in the radiance of her being that is the electrical, but the magnetic draws one to want to be within that field. And if the connection is one of lust, of not of lust, but of love, that is a divine recognition, then the magnetism flows. If there's a lustful energy, then it becomes the electrical repulsion. So she is capable of modulating the conditions of the field depending on the attitude of someone who was approaching her. Okay, does that help? Okay. No other questions. Okay, well, that's good. Then we can keep going, you know. We don't have to talk about the retreat. I think the retreat now, as I look back, was too simple. <laughs> and we have to go to a much more advanced level now. Nirgun, did you want to say something? Um, okay, I'll ask a question. Um, <laughs> um, thank, thank you. Um, you spoke in, in, in the teaching uh, a little bit about being focused on the new beginning rather than the death or the end. And I definitely feeling this updraft and the wave that's, that's, that's lifting me, lifting us, lifting um, consciousness. And I wonder what is, how is one how does one, what does one do or how, right? But that's a kind of a ridiculous question. How does one open more surrender to and act with Wu Wei? Like, do you understand what I'm? You see, the problem is that that question comes out of the illusion that you're a someone who has to do a something, right? That's what has to be let go of. So the, what, what is called for is a non-doing, a recognition that you're not a doer, uh, and you're not that body or that thinking apparatus that wants to figure things out and wants to be productive and uh, make things happen. No, things are happening by the will of that supreme being and all we have to do is be the empty vessels that are then filled and moved by that power and uh, and that requires uh, not only a non-doing but a literal non-existence as a separate entity and the illusion of that separate entity is created by thoughts therefore what needs to happen is the silencing of the thoughts but that's not a doing, that's a not doing and a not thinking. But in attending to that center of consciousness, out of which new kinds of inspirations, new kinds of, of thoughts that come from that higher level will emerge. And, and so in a way your marching orders will come, but they will come out of the stillness 
of, of a, a presence within that has the wisdom to move you in a particular direction at a particular moment. But by being silently aware and attending to that source of your being that will, at the right moment, uh, inspire or uh, uh, create an impulse to action, it will be spontaneous without the intermediary of an ego saying, hmm, that's a good idea, I wonder if I should do that. No, it'll be a spontaneous uh, movement of the body-mind, but you won't be identified with it. And the more you stay disidentified from it, the more the flow of the continual uh, wisdom and presence of mind and empowerment will continue to sustain the activity of the body-mind. But it will be completely an egoless uh, surrender to that source that will move the, the form into whatever ways that are required. Okay? So we just have to get out of the way. That's all that's really necessary. I hope that's useful. Okay. Uh, that God, the name? Ganymede? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering, I love when you, you tell stories, like mythological stories. Why was it exactly that, that the other gods didn't like him? Uh, and I think they were jealous of him. Okay. And of uh, Zeus's preference for him over uh, some of the other goddesses and gods. So uh, I think it was more that they, they were disturbed by you know, the new guy on the block. So as, the, uh, as humans rise into uh, divine consciousness again, it disturbs the archons a bit who have been running the show in Kali Yuga, uh, and they have to move out of the way. And especially when you reach that point where you connect uh, in outer space with inner space, that will change what happens within the local space of the planet. It's also interesting that a god was going to make a co contact with aliens, right? It's mm -hmm. a god with aliens. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's more like, he, what was the trait they were going to do? Mm -hmm. Well, he's actually human. Remember that Ganymede is a human who was raised up to Olympus. So uh, he is able then to relate to these beings in that intermediary state that's between uh, humanoid, if you will, and, uh, and divine, that is able to function, let's say, at the archetypal level of consciousness, okay? Because that's all that the, the, uh, the extraterrestrial really means. It's an archetypal angelic force that has been materialized. But it is, it, is a, it, it is made of the archetypal information of that plane. So as we live on the archetypal level, as beings who are angelic uh, emissaries of the Supreme, then we can relate uh, on an equal playing field, if you will, an equal level, regardless of uh, body forms and uh, how mental uh, operations take place. because. We're now beyond the limited mind into the archetypal mind that all beings share. It's more dimensional than physical, like physical in the sense that spaceship come and one say hi or something like that. It's more, it can be more abductional, let's say, like you mm -hmm. were speaking. It can be, day. but it can be many different ways. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Trey? Thank you, Shunya. Um, I was just curious if you had any like um, further suggestions on how, like you know, your recommendation to Nirgun was go into the quiet mind again and to allow what spontaneously comes up to come up and respond from there with uh, non-attachment, right, and surrender. But how do you decipher between like the thoughts, the ego thoughts come up sometimes spontaneously mm -hmm. that I'm not really identified with. So it's like, 
You'll know the difference between a thought that is an ego thought, because usually they're repetitive, you know what the ego wants, it's usually very mundane, or it's based on some fantasy that the ego has had. But if a thought comes from down, from the higher level, it will be something that is either shattering or awesome or sublime or uh, will shockingly have a new level of coherence that you didn't have before. So the difference between the superconscious and the conscious or subconscious aspects of the ego is, is very different. And, and will lead to uh, a very different kind of action or uh, an unfoldment of thought processes that emerge in the, in the course of the understanding of that inspiration that you receive. And you, I saw you doing this a lot, right? Would you, would you say that it would be like an expansiveness in your heart, a feeling that you just know, like that it's not a knowing in your mind as much as it's a knowing in your heart that this is a coming from a different place? It's an integration of the two. Because it, yes, you'll feel it in your heart because it'll be a thought that is heart opening and, and beautiful and filled with love and joy. But it will also be of a very... Uh, powerful uh, intellectual nature that will be very explanatory as well. So it'll have both aspects. It's not one or the other. Mm -hmm. And so if there's any thought that's questioning, is, was this from something higher? Then it probably wasn't, right? Like, is it something that you would know? Yeah, right you'll away? know when, when there's uh, uh, no doubt, then uh, I would, uh, uh, pay attention to it. Other than that, I would uh, uh, go back into the silence mm -hmm. until it comes. And it'll be like a lightning bolt or, or like such an aha that there won't be any question. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Josie. Thank you. Um, lately, I've been feeling kind of interesting. I, uh, I remember you, you always say that as you move forward, you have even more anxiety because your ego gets more and more scared. And f first I thought that that was what was happening to me and then I realized, you know, it's not really anxiety that I'm feeling, but I think it's mourning. Mourning, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think. For what, the old life? Mourning or? the sensory world and the attachments, mourning um, my attachment to the suffering and the pain and Mm -hmm. um, mourning the drama queen <laughs> and maybe even mourning the fact that I don't really miss that much mm. um, and that's hard for the ego to hear and feel and to start off this teaching today you talked about the importance of that our purpose is to enter what's coming not to dwell on the past that we're um, leaving behind so I guess I'm wondering how, to, how can I and how can everyone mourn healthfully and not be nostalgic and how can we, you know, properly sit with what we're losing but remain happy? Like I seem mm -hmm. to feel a little bit of both and I'm wondering mm -hmm. how to yeah. keep growing from it. Sure. So it's not really a mourning because mourning happens after the death of the ego. And the ego is what's doing the mourning. So what it is grieving is its future, its destiny. It knows it's going to die because it's an obsolete form of consciousness that doesn't serve you. It's not really valid. It's not really, as you just said, you don't really want it. You don't really miss any of the past. But there's still an attachment to that identity. So the mourning is its last way of holding on to, uh, to prolong its agony and not just die, because once the ego's gone, there's no mourning left. Now it's a new mourning, but it's just pure light and love and joy. There's no longer any sadness. So the, this uh, grief is, uh, is the ego's last stand. Uh, and it's another melodrama. It's another way to be the drama queen of, oh, I'm mourning all of that, right? And it makes uh, a nice narrative out of it and extends it. And you can write a whole novel about that, right? So uh, it, what you want to do is stop that process because there's really nothing to be sad about. Why grieve the loss of something that was just suffering and delusion? 
So uh, the, uh, the cure is silence of the mind until all traces of interest in grief or in, uh, in any of the old egoic thought patterns has been completely put to rest. All right. And then very powerful new uh, kinds of uh, information and energies will, will come into the space that is now free of those kinds of grieving thoughts and feelings that will, will bring you to a much higher state of consciousness and uh, the old ego will have uh, no, no space and no, you'll have no interest in, in returning to it and the consciousness will just continue to expand and to, uh, to enter levels of insight that are so subtle and so pure and so clear uh, that, that the nature of reality that begins to become visible to you uh, will reveal the presence of God in every moment, which will be so amazing that, that there won't be any room for any other kind of thought. Nectar drop. <laughs> so there's been some deep feelings of, of feeling left out in a way. And I can't describe it in a sense of like, I can't put words to it, but I feel like there's something, um, it comes from a very deep place. And I'm wondering, well, it seems like it's a universal trauma, an egoic trauma and also um, like how to unlock it when it comes up because it feels like it's not, it's not placed in the right place. Mm -hmm. Your ego was invented out of the thought that you were being left out. So that thought is the core of the ego's identity. It felt originally it was left out of mommy's love and left out of daddy's and left out of uh, the family system. It was outcasted and black sheeped and right, uh, uh, treated in a scapegoating kind of way, which w did happen. But that became so encrusted that that thought became the dominant uh, mode of feeling, not just thinking, that the ego has been like stuck in as like a mold. And, uh, and you have to break free of it and, and pull that apart because you are chosen, you are not left out, quite the opposite. You, you are right in the center of the uplifting of consciousness for the world. So there should be great joy that you, you have, have been the one out of your biological family. I don't see the others here, right? Who's left out, you know? So you are the chosen one and, uh, and you're rising in consciousness when everyone else is collapsing. So uh, you should be celebrating, but you have to really undo that whole ego construct and not buy into it anymore because it, it was reality in the past, but it's now just a fantasy residue of something that had already ended. But if you keep on feeling that way, then you will produce through projection new ways of feeling left out, but they're, they're not real. They're provoked and projected and, uh, and, and bought into out of the, the homeostatic desire of the ego to feel at home. But feeling at home means feeling left out. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, 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 a discomfort zone that the ego can't get out of until you realize that you are the unborn self who uh, now is being left out of suffering and uh, admitted into the bliss of the eternal presence that never changes, just like Ananda Mayama. Always the same, always blissful. And that's who you really are. Okay, so let go of the illusion. When it comes up, recognize it's just simply a residue of the past that has no reality. Okay? Josh. Thank you. Um, so during the retreat, you had 
brought up the, and I had asked this question uh, via the, the live stream um, about the tamasic versus sattvic. And sometimes I feel like in the emptiness of the mind and the absence of thoughts, um, like a like a dumbness mm. or something, or mm -hmm. it's, I judge it as mm -hmm. dumb because I don't have, whether it's an interaction with people, like nothing arises sometimes. Um, and you had mentioned in like a tamasic state, um, and I believe you mentioned like, like an unhealthy detachment or something. Um, do you recall? Mm -hmm. um, so how does one know the difference between like, mm. like dumbness and also like progressing, mm -hmm. you know, and like? Well, if you really are in the silence of a mind that has transcended the uh, conceptual thought level, then that thought that I'm dumb will not appear, right, either. So uh, that, that thought is the ego's way of pulling you back into a tamasic state uh, because it wants you to believe that you don't have intelligence, right? So it's a, it's a delusional thought and you can't allow it to pull you down. But when you stay in the silence long enough, what you discover is that there is a tamasic version which is you're falling asleep or spacing out or uh, in, in losing consciousness, but there's another level in which there's an alert presence and in which time slows down and you become very aware of very subtle aspects of reality. And although you're not thinking, there's a knowing that is there. And you can have an intuitive knowledge of what's going on, what are the energies that are present, what needs to happen, uh, what, what to avoid, how to move through the space if your body is in action. It will all happen, uh, but it'll happen in silent presence in which uh, time slows down to such a, a state that you'll actually be ahead of most of the other people who are thinking and therefore in a much different linear time frame whereas you're already able to take leaps uh, into, into time spaces that others haven't reached yet. Because you're, you will be able to know the thoughts that haven't yet arisen in their minds but will, and the actions that may happen. This is the secret of martial arts, where you want to get so silent and so present that you know what your opponent is going to do before they do it, and you're already ready to take the counter move, right? So you're, you're a step ahead and, and you're able to, uh, to dominate the movement of the, the situation with an energy that, uh, that is able to be centered and bring a kind of peaceful resolution to whatever is going on. So there will be great intelligence, but because you don't need to think, you're much quicker in knowing and it, it becomes instantaneous. So focus on that and don't allow the thought of dumbness to appear. And then you'll see the intelligence will show up uh, just like that and it'll be very sparkling and, and very accurate. Thank you. Okay. Ashoka. Um, in your latest morning teaching, um, you mentioned that um, if you like, once you know about God, you can love God in the wrong way. Mm. So it's uh, worse than not knowing God at all. So in response to that, like, how do we love God in the right way? <laughs> this is a very deep question, <laughs> and uh, a whole book could be uh, could be written about, and and it's really what the next retreat is about, also. Uh, First of all, uh, one must love God with humility and uh, with a recognition that the one loving God is the finite level of the mind loving the infinite, right? So you want to be able to open up so completely that you can receive that infinite nature within your consciousness but it will shatter the ego because it can't, can't hold the infinite. 
So what happens is through the surrender, your love uh, absorbs you into the beloved. And it's when that love has become union and there's no difference, that's when the, uh, the presence of that love itself that is no longer either lover or beloved, those two polarities have disappeared into the field. And, and the love, which is also wisdom, which is also truth and power and will, all of that uh, is contained within the love, uh, begins to be the energy that you are. And there's no longer any thinking about God or any thinking about your ego or about the world. There's just a presence that, that sees and that creates through the vision that will, will come through. Because the world is a projection and is a reflection of consciousness, the more you are in that source of consciousness, the more that what you will see is the dream potentialities that will emerge. And because you're able to see the highest potential in every being that you relate to, that potential suddenly emerges in that being just because you see it. And so the, the, the God seed is placed everywhere you look and it sprouts almost instantaneously just by your vision watering it with that Aquarian electricity that brings it into its ultimate revelation of itself. Vajra. Thank you. That was such a beautiful answer. Thanks, Ashoka, for asking that question. Um, maybe related. Uh, I had a question. You said the other day that the vibrational frequency, the higher vibrational frequencies are outside of the body. Mm -hmm. um, and I was wondering if you could explain what, where that transition is or, or what that's like or how it's related to what's uh, experienced in the body. It's not outside the body in space. It's outside the body as a, a construct of consciousness. It's, it's a dimensional shift. Because in reality, there is no body. Bodies are an illusion of a dense mode of consciousness. There is only light, and the light takes different forms. Just like if you see a film, uh, it's just light projected on a screen but you'll differentiate with your mind the bodies of different actors, right, in the film, but all, all you see is light, and they are all the same light going through the filter of a, of a film, and that film is maya, or the, the consciousness of the ego that creates the illusion of a body and puts itself into that body. But the consciousness is actually the light that's projecting the whole world as the film in which you are now an actress and performing a part. But once you have entered into that higher energy that's outside of the hologram, dimensionally outside of, outside of space as well as outside of time, then you're able to direct those energies into the hologram in order to explode its paradigm and enable the light to shine uh, both uh, into and throughout the, uh, the, the field of consciousness and enable a new dream, a new film, a new reality uh, to emerge that purely reflects the divine intelligence and, and beauty and love and joy that you are uh, into the world that, that creates uh, a, new, uh, a new age, a new heaven on earth because of, of the explosive bliss that you bring into the field. Marjiva Ma. So when we're listening to uh, the song in meditation, um, it was um, the vibrations or the thought that came up was gaiety, God's gaiety. Mm -hmm. 
and it's not a word I often <laughs> think about or comes up, but there's just this um, sense of, of in the midst of the collapse, you know, of, of a movie like Hair, <laughs> at best, mm -hmm. um, there's this, the gaiety mm -hmm. of, of that um, uh, magnetic force that was uh, uplifting. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it came uh, to me just a little bit now that um, is it not perhaps also what I'm recognizing, which I really, what really was, the, the thought really popped, that it was my own recognition that in moments in which, you know, things may be getting hairy, <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's right there at the cusp, you know, and, and, and there's that choice that kind of mm. one has to make. Mm -hmm. yeah, that, Whether that to go into ego or stay exactly in, okay. in, in that, in that, I think this is what I was um, perceiving mm -hmm. in the song: is mm -hmm. that there is this um, upshot mm -hmm. of, of the gaiety mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that uh, is becoming ever more the winning side, let's mm -hmm. say, mm -hmm. of the. Um, um, uh, of the dice, really. Mm -hmm. Which which way will you uh, mm -hmm. roll them? Yeah, that's right. And uh, so the uh, this um, changing of the times mm -hmm. between um, suffering and gaiety, right, is uh, perhaps what I was reflecting back to the song. Mm -hmm. And the song was reflecting, by uh, reverberating mm -hmm. back, yeah. as, almost as a, uh, well, I don't know if it's almost, but it seems that it, it is that uh, unified intelligence mm -hmm. that was very much playing mm -hmm. out yeah. uh, something I needed to understand, uh, mm -hmm. not just feel it, mm -hmm. but as you were speaking about the, that mind and the, and the heart uniting. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm... Um, this is the understanding I'm now perceiving, is that um, it's a, a moment in which a lesson was being given, and mm -hmm. I needed to extract from it what it was, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, perhaps will this now perhaps give the uh, added power to not even get into that cutting edge of hairy situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. So the gaiety is the realization that the world is designed as a comedy. Shiva has a strange sense of humor, but it is humorous, all of it. And the more that you're aware of that and can laugh with everything that's happening rather than get upset, uh, the more that you win because then you're rolling sevens, right? And, uh, and chakra seven is always filled with joy and bliss. So uh, you'll be able to uh, stay on that side of things. And if you can handle every hairy situation with joy and humor and seeing the beauty of it and the blessing hidden within it, then everything will unfold perfectly. And so that is indeed the victory, the Jaya Dev is being able to do exactly that. So you're right on the line to, uh, to move to that beautiful joy that never ends. So thank you. Okay, well I think this has to end because we're over time, but um, I appreciate everyone's uh, questions and comments and uh, the fact that you are all working I can feel so hard, so, so uh, uh, diligently to break through the uh, ego's uh, melodramas and attempts to hold you in a fixed identity that is obsolete and that you're not going to settle for that. So it's a, it's a very victorious sangha that we have here. And uh, you've all been chosen because of your power to see through the illusions and to have the courage to not know who you are, 
in order to discover who you really are. And you have to go through that emptiness, the, past the grief of the death of the ego, into the complete unknownness, because God is the ultimate mystery. And the ego can never know God. You can never know your real self. And it's only when you have given up the attempt of the ego to appropriate the self, which is just the narcissistic attempt to, to have master's discourse. But the moment you are really free of that and you can surrender, then that self and you become one again. But it is a, a, a requirement to enter into the absolute unknowability and unattainability of that ultimate mystery until not knowing it, but being it, emerges as the truth of what you are. And then from that beingness, the, the knowing can emerge <clears throat> in, a, in, a, in a way of creative expression that will be able to capture part of the mystery, but never the whole of it. And it is the fact that you are unknowable and unreachable which is the meaning of salvation because it means no suffering can touch you no projection of anyone else can reach you and hurt you no uh, uh, event that can happen on the phenomenal plane uh, has any reality in relation to your supreme beingness and by realizing that uh, it's it's total solitude and beyondness, transcendence, and yet it's that transcendent freedom and immunity to harm that creates the fearless capacity to be in the world again, but not of it, and fearlessly speaking the truth, living it, and sharing the beauty of the love of that beingness that does not require defenses and can live with pure goodness without aggressivity. And that's the change of the age that's being manifested through our surrender to the real. Thank you all. Namaste. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.